All right. So this morning we're talking about the S word, but it's not a four-letter word. We're finishing our series called Ecstatically Married. So for those of you joining us for the first time, we don't want today to be jarring to you. So I'll give a little bit of introduction. We've had, we've had weeks to prepare ourselves for this conversation, to steal ourselves and go, Ugh, he's going to say it multiple times during this sermon. But throughout this series it's called Ecstatically Married, uh, we, did, we did what is a man, we did what is a woman, we did uh, what is a husband, what is a wife, what is marriage. We did headship, we did submission, and then today we're finishing the series talking about sex. So I'm going to be honest, I'm going to be frank, I'm obviously not going to be graphic, and we're going to talk about God's good design, God's intention for sex and marriage, and what it would, what it would look like to be ecstatically married. So I don't think today is going to be anything that's going to be exhaustive. We're not going to go as far as we could. We could obviously do a whole marriage series. We could do a whole series talking just about sex and the different parts of God's design as it pertains to it. So this is a, a surface level, just a, a quick flyover. But my hope and expectation is that the word is still going to encourage you. It's still going to bless you. It's still going to open up conversation for husbands and wives. And I've even prayed for singles who would be in attendance today to, that they would be blessed, that they would be refreshed, that they would be encouraged by God's good design, that they would be teachers for others uh, as, as the situations would, as they would have opportunity to do so. So I'll tell you this, um, when it comes to sex, there is most definitely a sacred privacy for the marriage bed. And this is one way that we keep the marriage bed undefiled, by not broadcasting things that ought not be broadcast. And yet, we have often been in the other ditch by saying absolutely nothing about sex. In the church, it can all easily be treated as a, hey, that's a necessary evil, and just, y'all figure it out. Like, I'm too uncomfortable to talk to you about it. Everybody's too uncomfortable about it. It's the whole joke. Like, where do babies come from? Go ask your mother. Go ask your father. Well, Unfortunately, in all the go ask somebody else, the enemy in the world system has been, has been more than happy to answer every question with lies. So in the vacuum that we've created, Satan has been happy to be the primary voice on sexuality in, in the earth. And the church should be the primary voice for truth in everything that happens. So we don't want to be in either ditch. We don't want to publicize things that ought not be publicized. And at the same time, we don't want to be silent on things when they should be talked about. There's a wise approach. So the world is busy um, with the demonic and, and the over-sexualization of everything. The world is literally, and when I say the world, I mean the world system, as opposed to God's kingdom, the world system, the one, the, Satan's kingdom where he's reigning temporarily with limited power and limited ability. But the world is busy, you know, literally, making sex robots more lifelike, and the church is embarrassed because... The pastor said sex in his sermon, and we found it deeply inappropriate. Like, we've, we've got we've to make some progress here, and we've got to be able to go farther so that we can help people and say what belongs to God and say what's good and say what's his jurisdiction. So, again, we won't go too far into intimate details, but we should boldly and joyfully declare the principles of God's word pertaining to sex. Sex is the distinguishing factor of marriage. There's this one thing that you can't have anywhere else. So, well, I, I, I've got this. Marriage isn't just about sex. Nobody said it was. And yet, that's the only place where sex is to be present. So, well, marriage is friendship. Okay, well, marriage is this. And marriage is that. And marriage is this. Okay. 
But everything you just listed, I can also have elsewhere. I can have friendship. I can have partnership. I can have camaraderie. I can have team. I can have any other thing you could come up with. I could find pieces and portions of that outside of marriage. But there's still this one thing that only exists in exclusively one place as the Lord intended and as the Lord designed it. So we don't want to make little of sex. We want to make much of what the Lord makes much of. We can make little of what the Lord makes little of. But sex is important. It's the one thing that you're to have with this one person in marriage. As far as the purposes of sex go, we know that sex is for children. Sex is for expressing love. Sex is for expressing unity. It's for protection from sexual temptation. And it is also for pleasure. Now, I want to also say as I go through this message, as I'm going through this sermon, I'm talking about normative circumstances. Normative circumstances. Just like I talked through uh, male and female headship and submission, I was saying, hey, I'm describing normative circumstances. So, like, I'm not speaking to the extreme 10% in either direction. We're talking to the general norm. So, keep in mind that I'm not going to be speaking to every possible extreme and every possible scenario. You're going, well, what about, or what about? That's perfect for the Q&A. That's exactly what the the Q&A line is for, so send that information in, and we're going to cover everything that we need to cover. And then the other thing I'll add, just before we dig in anymore, is I will say that sexual abuse is significant, and it is a profound issue that needs to be addressed. So it's not something that I'm going to be able to dive into today, but I'm going to say it's an obvious wickedness. It's an evil that has been committed against many people, some in childhood, some in adulthood, but it can often bear scars with it. It can bring shame along with it as people have been sinned against. And unfortunately, it can hinder the, re- the renewal of their own mind. So it can bring with it a lot of baggage and a lot of push and pull and misunderstanding. So as I'm talking about all this stuff, just know that uh, you're, any, anyone who's experienced anything like that, just know that I'm tender towards that. The Lord is tender towards that. But if you're saying, man, you just said that so callous. What about a scenario? Well, we're not, we're not going to be acknowledging all the possibilities today. We're going to be talking about the broad, good design that the Lord has for sex in marriage. Does that make sense? So I'm going to start off in Genesis chapter 2. It's where we've been going for most of these sermons, right? Genesis, in the beginning, we see the Lord's design. We see the Lord's intention. Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 24. The pinnacle of creation is not the animals, it's not the stars, it's not the moon, it's humanity. And then on top of that, the crown, the final crown is is woman. But here we're about to read man and woman being joined together. Verse 18, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. Naked and not ashamed, one 
flesh. This is sexual expression. This is what's taking place here. This is the understanding of one flesh. The idea is that we are the most exposed we can possibly be. The most vulnerable parts of the human body are joining together in the covenant of marriage. Like we've said all throughout this series, we said a man's body teaches us something about masculinity. That wasn't on accident. That was on purpose. Men are stronger than women. That wasn't just God going, eh, it doesn't matter who gets what. No, that was a purpose. That was to signify his role. His role as protector, provider, leader. So he's bigger by design. Women are beautiful. So a woman is also a beautifier, a glorifier, and a life giver. Well, in the same way, the way he designed the male and female reproductive system, they tell us something. They tell us some obvious things. It feels a little bit uncomfortable maybe, but it's obvious and it's not accidental. Everything the Lord designed, he said, yeah, well, that's kind of like that, or that's kind of like this. Yeah, exactly. The physical, we've said before, it images the spiritual. The physical and the spiritual are not, ugh, the physical, bad, dirty, gross, shameful, the spiritual, holy. No, remember, God is the author of all things. He was the designer, and all these things are to be united as he intended instead of separated and divorced from one another. So God calls it all very good. He made everything, he calls it good, but when he makes man and woman, he says, this is very good. Now it's very good. Woman is here, man is here. I've joined them together. This is all very good. The truth is this, God's, God designed sex. It's all his idea, every part of it, everything that happens, the sights, the sounds, the smells, the tastes, all of it was his idea. God loves sex and the devil hates sex. What do you mean by that? I thought the devil loves sex. No, no, the devil is just a pervert. God loves sex in its design, in its context, in its right place. God says, I love it. It's very good. It's the right thing at the right time. It is a beautiful gift that I give into humanity. And we think, well, Satan's the one who's proud of it. No, Satan is the one who exposes things that ought not be exposed. The world system perverts things. So God says, I've got something good, true, and beautiful. And Satan says, well, then I'll twist it. God says, this is sacred for the marriage bed. Satan says, I'll put it all over the internet. God says, this is pure and holy. And, and there's, a, there's, it, there's a modesty now, in the marriage bed, no, no modesty needed. But you know, it, the modesty is the fact that it's contained within the marriage bed. It's contained within the marriage. And Satan says, then I'll expose it everywhere. So that's, the, that's what we mean when we say God loves sex in its proper context. And Satan hates it. This is God's jurisdiction. Our father built this. He owns it. He built every body part at creation. He's not embarrassed by any of it. It all belongs to him. And therefore, it belongs to his children. The church, we are the ones who are the one, we're the only ones who can tell anybody the truth about this because God gave us this gift. It's ours. So we shouldn't step back and go, uh, it's kind of like a worldly thing, but we got to do it to make kids. No, no, no. This belongs to God. This belongs to his people. We'll teach you. We'll instruct you in the, in the sacred beauty. We won't go beyond where we need to, but we won't stay silent any longer either. We'll say, here's the right thing at the right time. This is what it looks like. And that's the church's responsibility, to tell the world the truth. So what do we see about God versus the devil when it comes to sex? Well, God wants married people having sex together. And what does Satan want? Satan wants everyone except married people having sex together. He wants every other combination happening, every, because everything else is perversion. Everything else is sinful. Everything else is brokenness. Everything else is wrong. So the devil can only pervert what the Lord has created. And we know now that sex is not a necessary evil. Sex is a necessary good. 
This is why the phrase like, or you're just doing this because you want sex, should never leave your mouth from this moment forward. Maybe you've been guilty of it. It should never leave your mouth ever again or even enter your mind. Saying you're just doing this because you want sex is like saying that this person has been caught doing something wrong. Like you caught them with their hand in the cookie jar. You just, what, want this spiritual, emotional, and physical gift with the person who I love and made vows to? Guilty. You caught me. Am I under arrest? Like, what, which, which court is going to try me now? You know, but again, that, that shows our wrong thinking about you just want, and, but imagine, um, you know, because a lot of the work that I do in the family leadership stuff and talking about sex and marriage, I oftentimes get objections. They go, why are you talking about sex? And I say, brother, sister, usually it's brother, interestingly enough. Um, brother, would you be okay if I said I'm talking about family leadership and having great conversations in marriage? And, of course, they're already trapped because they know where I'm taking with them. Great conversations are good, right? Of course. I would say amen. I think everybody would. What is it in my brother, though, that he's, why are you talking about sex? What is it that you would think I shouldn't? Something in him is thinking, this is, that's, it's, there's something naughty in his mind. There's something, ugh, there's something mm, inappropriate. And it's not true. Now, there's an inappropriate way to do that. And honestly, I've been guilty of that. Definitely been guilty of it. Absolutely. And I've repented of that sin and, and hopefully will avoid it in the future. But anytime you're dealing with something on a spectrum, well, I've, I mean, there's been people who would say, I've already sinned in this sermon, you know? <laughs> so you, you can't just chase the crowd, but you have to stay sensitive to the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, help me to be wise. Yeah. Help me to talk about this in a way that's wise, in a way that's godly, in a way that's holy, but also in a way that's frank. Also in a way that's just honest and plain speaking. I mean, literally, we're adults. So uh, we are, we're all comfortable with these conversations privately, and yet we, we also need teaching biblically so that, we're not just, so that we're not just mysteriously combining ideas together. All right, I got off of my point here. So this is why we would never say something like, you're just doing this because you want, because again, you, you're acting like someone's been caught red-handed and their hand's in the cookie jar, but it's not. Their hand is actually on the dinner plate, and this is the feast that the Lord has provided for marriage. Mm-hmm. So like I said, yeah, oh, I'm guilty, yes, of wanting God's spiritual, physical, and emotional gift to our marriage. But there are, three, there are typically three approaches towards sex, three perspectives that we come to sex with. We either treat sex as God, we treat it as gross, or we can receive it as a gift. Those are the typical, and sometimes we've got a combination of three. Sex as a God would mean that we've, idol- we've turned it into an idol, like my whole life is about sex. I'm controlled by my sexual urges. That's a bad clip that's going to get used someday on the podcast. Like, I'm controlled by my sexual urges. <laughs> this is where sex is idolized or worshipped. This is where sex is ultimately, sexual pleasure is your master and you're its slave. You don't have compassion for anyone. Or you don't have compassion for your spouse. You don't have patience with your spouse. You're exclusively after the, the physical expression, most of the time in this case, of of sex, and this is where it's it's the ultimate. It is the ultimate expression of all of all life. And although we know it's good, and we said marriage is normative, we see clearly that Jesus was never married, and Jesus didn't experience any kind of sexual expression on the earth. So it is very possible, as as the Apostle Paul taught. He said, "Hey, I wish everybody was like me." He said, "But it's better to marry than to burn with passion." So he's saying, so it's kind of funny. We've got the normative design for marriage. Paul's going, you know what? It's great. You can devote yourself more to the Lord. But absolutely, uh, marriage is a protection against sexual immorality. So God, we could treat it as a God, a false God. We could treat it as gross. 
This is where sex is shameful, it's naughty, it's just inappropriate, it's this, it's this unfortunate necessity, and it's just for procreation, and it's just to, you know, just to appease my spouse at the absolute minimums whenever I have to. Or we can see it the way God sees it, that sex is a gift to be received with gratitude and with joy. There's an appropriate time and a place to open the gift, and that time and place is marriage. But in marriage, it should be fully open. So there's a time and a place for sexual expression, but once you've gotten to that time and place, it can be wide open to be richly enjoyed because it's God's good gift. And this is the perspective that God has, and this is why we're renewing our minds towards it in this very message. So I'm going to have you turn to uh, Song of Solomon. You thought I was inappropriate. I'm just, about to, I'm just about to read out loud to you, and it's about to get way worse. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. So throughout different Jewish traditions throughout history, the Song of Solomon, and not this wasn't universal, but there was times and places where um, young men were not even allowed to read this portion of the Bible because it was so obvious what was being described. It was so plain it was so obviously explicit as to what was taking place as anatomy is being represented by fruit um, but there's a there's a passionate love being expressed between a husband and a wife here the bible is r-rated in case you hadn't noticed so song of solomon and i'm, I'm just going to uh, take a couple selections here what what is my point what is my motive here my motive is to still just show you and convince you that sex is good Sex is good. Well, in the right place. Yeah, well, that's what we're talking about. We're only talking about its design. Yeah. You know, that's, that's all we have in mind here. We reject sexual immorality completely. And any sexual expression outside of a man and woman is sexual immorality. It's fornication. It's adultery. Jesus said, if I've lusted, then I've committed adultery. So everybody in this room is likely guilty of sexual sin. That makes us... Oh, I could feel shame there, except that we don't because we've been forgiven and cleansed and we want to pursue holiness. We want to continue to see God's best fulfilled in our lives. So in Song of Solomon, we have uh, Solomon and his bride. Well, one of them. <laughs> That's another sermon. Um, but Solomon and his bride loving one another. We see this is, this is beautiful poetry. It's, it's written to and from. You can read it's, it'll be he and then it'll be she. And they're expressing their love to one another. And it's this song. It's what it's called. It's Song of Solomon. It's not a math equation. It's not calculus. It is beautiful masculine to feminine poetry and love. Chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, we have uh, she is speaking to the groom while the king was on his couch, my nard gave forth its fragrance. My beloved is to me a sachet of myrrh that lies between my breasts. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms in the vineyards of Engedi. In Engedi. So, as you can see, body parts already being described here. Fragrance is being described. And all this is seen as a beautiful gift. We're expressing this love towards one another. In chapter 2, verses 3 through 7... She's speaking again. She said, As an apple tree among the forest of apples, so is my beloved among the young men. 
With great delight, I sat in his shadow, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. Sustain me with raisins, refresh me with apples, for I am sick with love. His left hand is under my head, and his right hand embraces me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. I'm going to keep reading. I don't think you're uncomfortable enough yet. Um, Chapter 4, verses 1 through 7 now. Now he's speaking to his bride. Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats. These are not pickup lines that I recommend. I don't think they've all aged well. Um, But at the time, I think it was the right thing. Your wife comes home. I got my hair done. Wow, babe, it's like a flock of goats. Like That's not what Natalie wants to hear when she's come back from the salon, I don't think. Babe, you look like a goat. I love it. I love it. Your teeth are like... A flock of shorn ewes, babe, your teeth are like sheep, um, that have come up from the washing, all of which bear twins. Maybe, I guess, when she comes home from the dentist, you know, you're just like, wow, babe, the really pearly white, like just beautiful. Notice Solomon's making his way south here. Um, they all bear twins, and not one of them has lost its young. Your lips are like a scarlet thread, and your mouth is lovely. Your cheeks are like halves of a pomegranate behind your veil. Your neck is like the Tower of David. Built, built in rows of stone. On it hang a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle that graze among the lilies. Until the day breathes and the shadows flee, I will go away to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of frankincense. So he's saying, you got these two twin peaks. I'm going to go to both mountains. Like again, just... It says what it says. It's obviously describing. But again, it's, it's beautiful. It's poetic. It's loving. It's, it's compassionate. There's vulnerability here. Verse 7, you are altogether beautiful, my love. There is no flaw in you. Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. So I recommend reading Song of Solomon in the context of understanding the the marital love, the sexual love that's being expressed between a husband and a wife here as a way, because the word of God is powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. You should study and receive and instruction in, in the whole counsel of the word of God. And all these things are intended to bless us. So if you haven't read the Song of Solomon over your marriage bed and over you and your spouse together, then do so. Oh, I feel a little bit strange with that. And I, and I can understand that. That's a common thing. That's probably a little bit of the sex is gross thing. Like, we have to kind of close the door and make sure the Lord's not watching. You know, like, make sure he's not aware of what's going on in here. And in fact, just the opposite happens in the Song of Solomon. The Lord tells the couple, he says, drink, drink, enjoy one another. Like, have at it. This is a, this is a banquet feast that I've prepared for you. This is a spiritual gift I've given to you. This is a physical gift I've given to you. This is an emotional gift I've given to you. Enjoy. Drink deeply. This is the right thing at the right time in the right place. It's rich. It's beautiful. Sex is more like poetry than it is calculus. Song of Solomon shows us that. It's more of a dance than it is a transaction. It's a song, and it's not an equation. So this book is romantic, and it is sexually obvious. A whole book of the Bible that has been dedicated to sexual love. There's no mention of making babies here, although that's a a primary mention of of the sexual expression in Genesis. Multiply. That's an important, good, and godly thing to do. 
but the Lord didn't have to make pleasure connected with it, but he did. So there's no mention of making babies here, but lots of obvious passion. So what do we see? Well, we see that sex is for pleasure. There are body parts, there are nerve endings that are specifically created. They have no other purpose other than pleasure. They don't accomplish anything other than that feels wonderful. That's delightful. This is a good gift from God. What else do we know about sex? Well, we know that there is an emotional bond that's created. We know there's an emotional bond that brings a great comfort to a marriage. Even when everybody's not all hot and bothered, even when everybody's not really excited to race to the bedroom together, we see David and Bathsheba, after their baby dies, the scripture says, and David went into her to comfort her. And you could, you could also tell that story a different way. Hey, the baby just died. Can we do it now? But that's not what was happening at all. Now, could things be done selfishly? Absolutely, they can be done selfishly. But things can be done lovingly. And there's a time and a place, right? There's an appropriateness to that. But this, married, this couple was experiencing the bond, the comfort. We need one another. We just need to be close. We're sad. We just need to be, well, I'm not up for that right now. Well, that, they, they weren't, I don't think either of them was particularly probably fired up like they probably were, unfortunately, when their affair began. When their affair began. But in this moment, they're coming together and they're saying, let's, let's comfort one another in this moment of sadness. So we see that there is a pleasure to sex, but we see that there is a comfort to sex. It's not always going to be fireworks. It's not always going to be, this is the most amazing thing that we've ever done, the, mo- the best it's ever been. But have we loved one another? Have we cared for one another? Are we being compassionate? Are we being loving? Are we being vulnerable? But sex is not exclusively physical. If it was we'd have no problem with our spouse sharing this gift with anyone else like it was a handshake. So the world acts like, they say, they treat it, and they talk like, oh, it's just, a, it's just it. like we're just mammals, like we're just animals doing things, but it's not true, and we know it. Well, can you prove it out? Well, nature proves it out. Like this is a truth that we hold to be self-evident. This is a self-evident truth, and I'm not going to make myself dumber by pretending it's not already obvious. We know this to be true. We, a handshake is a surface-level thing. A hug goes farther. A kiss goes farther. But then the act of marriage, a husband inserts himself into his wife's body. This is graphic. This is explicit. And God says, it's very good. In the context of marriage, this is a beautiful thing. That's the two literally becoming one flesh. Two separate bodies have, have actually literally joined together. And they have sealed the covenant. They made the covenant vows They stood before God and the witnesses and they made the covenant vows and they said, I'm forsaking all others and I'm devoted to you and my sexual life is your sexual life and and my body is no longer mine, but it's now yours. But then sealing the marriage covenant happens by, hey, let's go consummate this thing now. Now we've made the vows and now the two are going to become one flesh, literally. We're going to join so that there's no separation. We can't get any closer than in the sexual expression. And the Lord says, it's very good. It's all very good. We should note here that the whole Bible is about Jesus. The whole Bible is about Christ and the church. So there were some who would say, no, 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 Song of Solomon is only about Christ and the church. It's a, it's a picture of Christ and his bride. Well, first of all, yes, it most definitely is about Christ and his bride. Just like David and Goliath is about Jesus defending us. We're the, we're the terrified Israelites, but the one righteous one rises up and defeats our enemy. Just like Moses and Israel points to Christ in the church. But those things were still literally there. Those things still literally happened. 
Moses was real. David was real. Solomon and his wife were real. And the Holy Spirit saw good and saw fit to make it into the canon of Scripture, this, this design and this explanation of sexual expression between a husband and a wife. So it's not one or the other. It's both and. But we look at what's written and we say, God, you're good. Help us to learn. Help us to grow. Renew our minds with your way, with your words. The problem with renewing your mind is the enemy is also trying to unrenew it constantly. We don't get to the place where we're like, oh, I'm finished now. Well, unfortunately, you still live in the world, and there's still an enemy, and there's still demonic attack, and there's still fleshly temptation. So the renewing the mind process isn't a finish line that we're ever going to cross. It's a life that we're going to keep living. It's a walk that we're going to keep walking. So this is important. It's not, man, I heard a good sermon one time. That, you need fresh manna. That was yesterday's manna. That's not going to keep until tomorrow. And this goes with all of our lives. This is why you must feed on and love the Bible. This is why you must continue to read your Bible and love God's Word. So, the truth is, there's a lot of mystery here in sex. But we recognize that there are depths to intimacy. And as we said before, the physical images the spiritual. And in its proper context... Sex has been called spiritual warfare. I heard somebody say it that that way one time. Again, it's one of those things. Well, can you prove that? Do you have a verse for that? No, but I know it's true. (laughs) I've I've seen, I've experienced, I've heard testimony of just where the bond of a husband and wife was a protection and a blessing. So even knowing that sex is a spiritual warfare that's taking place, a blessing for the body of Christ, a blessing for marriage. When it comes to sexuality, the marriage bed has everything that you need and nothing that you don't need. Everything that you need in sexuality can be fully found and fully expressed in the marriage bed. But the truth is this, sex is a fire. Sex is a passionate fire, which is why she gives the warning here. She says, daughters of Jerusalem. So she's with her husband now, but she's saying, I'm warning you, young sisters, to the virgins, to her, to her virgin friends who would have been celebrating her marriage. She's saying, don't awaken love before it's time. Don't put the wrong, pla- the wrong thing in the wrong place. If I was to build a fire right here in this room, that's the wrong thing in the wrong place. We lit a building on fire. We've destroyed something. But if I build a fire in the fireplace or in the wood stove, what have we done? We've warmed the home. We can cook on it. It's the proper thing. Sex is a fire. You can be warmed by it or you can be burned by it. Can a man take a fire into his chest and not be burned? Can you pick up sex with, with your hands and not be burned by it? No. What is that referencing? Well, that's referencing sexual immorality. I can't, I can't experience sexual immorality in my life and not bear the scars that come from it. There's wounds, there's damage, and there's consequence that comes from that. But if sex is in the fireplace, if the fire is, sorry, if the fire is in the fireplace, then it can warm your home. It can cook your food. Fire can bring good memories. But if fire isn't in the right place, it can destroy a home. It can destroy a forest or it can destroy a city. It's a fire. Where is it going to be? Well, in the marriage bed, that's the fire we want. Praise God for it. But outside of it, it's destructive. The fireplace is marriage. Everywhere else is sinful and destructive sexual immorality. Lust, adultery, pornography, homosexuality, and beyond are all picking up fire with your bare hands. So... Sex is a very important part of marriage, but like we said, it's not the only part. But we also need to say that if a husband or wife is interested in, them, in their spouse sexually, then they're going to show their expression of love in every other area of life as well. 
It's not going to just show up in one area. It's the wrong thing to do to pursue your wife only at the moment of, I'm interested in you and I'd like to take you to the bedroom. Well, why? You just said it's physical, it's spiritual, and it's emotional. Well, it is, and that's true, and that makes sense. And yet, a man who loves his wife is always going to be pursuing her in other ways as well. So a husband is to pursue his wife continually. A wife is to pursue her husband continually. But it's true that there is such a thing as a sex drive. And God has given the sex drive to us. And generally, a man is going to have a higher sex drive than a woman. We're stating some things that are common knowledge here. And again, I'm speaking in generalizations. But this drive is for us as men. Not something to be apologized for. Not something to be ashamed of. But allowing us to drive, not just directly in a straight line towards sex, but to drive us to be the man that our wives would want to be with anyway. Allow your sex drive, brothers, to be something that fuels you to say, let me bless my wife in every way possible. And in the same way, a wife would say, well, I have a sex drive as well. Well, praise God. That's a, a good and wonderful thing. But it's also, again, to be fuel for your tank, to say, how can I pursue my husband in every way? How do we have this rich bond in, in all of our marriage so that the marriage bed just becomes the obvious expression rather than this is a nightmare but maybe we can at least go to the bedroom and enjoy one another. That's not what we're after here. What we're after is there's this rich bond, and of course, and of course this too, and of course this at any given moment we could go in this direction because there's such the baseline of health. There's such the assumption of love, and it's so obvious and so present all the time. Well, we don't always get that right. He didn't always get that right. She didn't always get that right. Oh, it sounds like you married a human being just like the rest of us which is why we offer grace, which is why we offer kindness, which is why we offer forgiveness, and which is why we also need to make plain our desires. Hey, especially for a wife, hey, here's what I'm feeling. Here's what I'm feeling. Hey, I'm feeling a little forgotten today. Oh, okay, now he can choose to do something with that. Now he can actually step into that and go, hey, I love you. I miss you. I'm sorry I've been out of it. I've been, I've been focused on work. Rather than accusing him and judging him, ladies, remember like we talked about in the submission sermon? You're this. You're awful. You work too much. All these things. It's like, ugh. Now, here we go. Who can, who can win this fight instead of, here's what I'm feeling? Or the husband in the same way. Hey, hey, beautiful. I got plans for you later. Well, I don't know. I don't know if I'm feeling it. Okay, well, then, then we can work towards this together because this is a priority for us. A wife is not to be the keeper of the sex. A husband is not to be the seeker of the sex. God is the giver of the sex to marriage. There's not one who says, well, I'll hold it. And if you jump through the hoops properly, then perhaps I shall reward you. This is a sin to be repented of. It is common, it's in every sitcom you've ever seen, and it is, the, it is the baseline assumption for marriage in the West. And it's sinful and it should be repented of. I kind of like that because that was the way I was holding power. I bet you did, and you should repent of it. Because it's not surrender, it's not submission. Again, a husband and wife should be eager to please one another. You can express your desire, but you should also receive pleasure by giving pleasure. We're just talking more practically here. This is, a, this is something that... Some couples forget about. There's a selfishness that can come into place. Like, well, I, I got what I was interested in. Well, your spouse is your priority as well. Like, you should enjoy and have a, great, have a great time with your spouse. And yet, you should be all in for whatever your spouse's interests and desires are. The same thing would go with frequency. What should our frequency be? Well, I'm not going to be the referee in your bedroom, but are both spouses satisfied? Are both spouses happy with where things are? Well, this one is, but this one isn't. Okay, well, the one who isn't, then we want to bring them to a place of satisfaction and desire. We want to give. And, well, there's, it's not that simple. I understand that. Literally, I do this stuff for a living, and I go way farther into the weeds a lot of times. And so I'm, I'm not naive. 
So I don't want you to think that was just an idealistic pitch and, uh, and this guy doesn't have any grasp on reality. I know there's a lot of details and there's a lot of factors there, all of which we have a way forward through, all of which can be overcome, all of which can be overcome. How can you say that so confidently? Because I know my God. I know who he is and I know what he's intended for you. This series is not an idealistic pitch of, hey, you know what? I knocked it out of the park and you can too. Why? Because I didn't. Because I didn't, and many haven't. But after sin, there comes repentance. And it's after my sin and ignorance that I started to grow and started to see God's best. And I've seen it in many others. But circumstances aside, God has a path forward. So no matter where you are, no matter where you are in your sex life, in your marriage, you can always find the next path forward. But again, this is done with a a focus on how can I be a giver? How can I care for the person that I love so much? Is there sin that I need to repent of? Like we said, this fire of fornication, it all has to be repented of. We can't minimize it. It's, it's prevalent in our culture. It's prevalent in the church. It's not, it's not exclusively with men either. It's, it happens with men. It happens with women. Pornography is damaging and destroying people's brains, literally. It's damaging people's marriage beds. All these things are sins to be to be brought out, to be exposed, to be confessed. Well, I don't want to do that because of the shame, except that Christ will forgive and that Christ brings grace. So there's a lot more that we could say, but what we want to do is we want to understand the principles. The principles are God made it, he calls it good, so we also call it very good. It's not a gift that wives give to husbands or a gift that husbands give to wives. It's a gift that God has given to marriage. We can pursue it with joy, we can pursue it with freedom, and we can navigate any other roadblocks along the way. Well, I've got this abuse, or I've got these triggers. Hey, we're going to be compassionate towards one another. You've got the safest place you're ever going to find in the marriage bed, in the marriage covenant. I'm with you, I'm for you to the end. But honey, husband, wife, let's move forward. Forward. Forward doesn't mean 100 miles an hour. Don't be afraid. Forward can mean, let's take our foot off the brake. Our foot's been on the brake. Potentially, I'm giving an example here. Maybe we haven't even started the car in some of our cases. Maybe you're going, uh, it's it's this it's this thing that we've just we've we've put aside and we've stopped talking about it, and or we just we only fight about it. I want you to have real freedom here. I want you to have real breakthrough because I know the Lord on the other side of it has a lot of help and a lot of hope for you. To close it out, obviously, everything that the Lord has designed is always a picture of Christ in the church. And there are some who, are, who, who would rage against the idea that, that the sexual expression is a reference to the new birth. Honestly, I can't unsee it. It's hard for me to, to not see the obvious design of what the Lord has done in the act of sex and in the act of how the Lord would fill his people and give them new life. And, and the way a man would, would do the same thing with his wife. Like to, to not make that connection seems to me like difficult to not to not draw those lines and yet at the same time we never want to sexualize our relationship with the lord anything like that would be demonic and we would reject that entirely that would be utter nonsense foolishness and, and disgusting so there's there's nothing in scripture taught that way and yet everything that the lord has done i'm closing with this my point is everything comes back to jesus so as we keep first things first as we are people who love the lord as we are people who love his word, as we are people who are humble and submitted to him, people of the table of God who come to him for forgiveness, who come to him for help, who come to him for hope, who come to him for guidance, we can find a path forward here because the Lord has given it to his people. We no longer need to be confused. We no longer need to be ashamed. Well, I still don't know what it looks like. Well, then that's what, 
That's what we want to do with our Q&A service as well. That's why we want to take time to say, I want you to try to stump me. You're going to try to stump me, I hope, but you're going to fail because the Lord has a path forward, and he always knows what to do. So please keep sending questions into the text line. We've only had like three come in so far, and uh, they're good questions, but still not the volume, and I know you've got more questions. So I want to go as far as we can and get into everything because you're going, well, you, you avoided this. I haven't intended to avoid anything, so I don't want to skirt around anything that you may be stumped on or struggling with. Hey, Pastor, here's what's up. Can you speak to this? Can you speak to that? And Natalie and I are looking forward to doing that. But again, everything comes back to Jesus. As we put him first in our marriage, it brings a couple closer together. But no, the mar- know that the marriage bed is a good gift to your marriage. It's something to be enjoyed, and it's something to be cultivated. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your good design of, of marriage. We thank you for your good design of sex inside of marriage. It is a fire that is intended to warm. It is intended to heal. It is intended to bless. So, Lord, we ask that you would make us a people who have clarity. Make us a people of holiness. Make us a people of delight so that we would enjoy your best and your highest, that we would unwrap the gift appropriately, and that we would enjoy it in the right place at the right time for the right reasons. Help us to engage in this spiritual, this physical, and this emotional joy that you've provided for your creation. And Lord, help us to continually draw nearer to you. You have made us new. You have filled your people, Lord, with new life. You have given us new desires. You help us to want the right things for the right reasons. So I pray for the marriages in this church as we close out this series. For every marriage represented here, present in Salt Church, in in this day, and, and for all those who will even be listening to this marriage series in the future, I plead the blood of Jesus over them. God, I ask that you would protect them from the attacks of the enemy. He wants to destroy the marriages in the church. He doesn't want them to represent Christ and his bride. He doesn't want married people to enjoy your good gift of sex. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes. You would draw us to repentance where it's needed. And you would give us wisdom. Make us a people of compassion. Fill us with an ultimate love for our spouses. That husbands would love wives like Christ loves the church that wives would submit to and respect their husbands like the church does to Christ. Glorify your name through it all. Preach your truth through our lives in every way possible and help us to be living sacrifices who lay down on your altar and say, it's all for your glory. May it be a sweet aroma to you, Lord. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. And now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine down upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you great peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Miss Natalie, you got something?